Hello and welcome back to the Elevate Music podcast, a podcast aimed at supporting musicians' health and well-being, brought to you in partnership with Help Musicians. I'm Lucy Heyman, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the various issues that singers or anyone who uses their voice a lot might face across their career. In just a minute, you'll hear my conversation with operatic soprano Kate Valentine about the vocal issues she faced and how they badly impacted her career and her identity. After that, I'm speaking to a leading vocal rehabilitation coach, Dr. Ginevra Williams, from the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine. She tells me about common vocal health issues, the warning signs to watch out for, and how to prevent problems happening in the first place. We start with the story of operatic soprano Kate Valentine, and I must confess it's a story I found really hard to listen to. Kate's vocal injury was alarming enough in itself, but what I found really shocking was the culture of shame and guilt that she also had to endure. I'm hopeful that things have improved since then, but our interview brought up a lot of questions about how singers can be adequately supported in the future. Let's hear Kate's story. I was diagnosed with a hemorrhagic vocal polyp in 2015, whilst in the midst of a pretty gruelling schedule singing Fjordaligi in Denmark. I was sent to see a specialist who made that diagnosis and... The upshot of that was that I was sent home because I was unable to fulfil my contract. And after a period of rest, I had to undergo surgery to remove the polyp and also to cauterise the vessels that had been feeding it. I had to cancel the remainder of the engagements that were in the diary for that year and began the journey of recovery. So I'm interested, when you said you were sent home because you could no longer fulfil your contract... How does it work in the opera world when something like this happens? Do they, does an organisation protect you and pay you for the rest of that gig or how does it work? People will be surprised at how brutal it can be actually. The way that that we are paid in the operatic world, often you're not paid for rehearsals. Most singers earn their fee for actually performing on stage there will often be one upfront rehearsal fee given to sort of help cover some of your upfront costs. But but really, you make your money when you sing the shows. So the brutal reality of it is that if you can't sing, then you don't get paid. So going back to the time when you've just discovered that you've had an injury and you know you're going to be sent home and you're not going to get your fee. I mean, how did that affect you emotionally? It was excruciating. All of it was excruciating. The rest period itself following the surgery was so hard, particularly the period where I had to be mute. It was the strangest sensation. I sort of felt as though someone had stolen my soul. As someone who's so used to communicating, Mm. to be mute was so isolating. I felt a bit like a ghost, you know, sort of present, but unable to participate in my own life. And it's, I mean, it's really every singer's worst nightmare having some sort of vocal injury. There's so many complex feelings that come up. I felt ashamed and really full of guilt, even though the pathology was not my fault in any way. And the fears about about my future combined with not being able to actually communicate was was hell, incredibly isolating. And so what kind of support was available for you at that point? Well, that is something that I really struggled with, actually. 
I didn't know who to contact. I didn't know who I could trust. There's this weird sort of paranoia that sets in, I think, when you've had a vocal injury because you know that there is such a stigma around it and you don't know where to find a safe space, you know, especially in an industry where there is so much gossip. It's difficult to know how exactly to tell your story. Should you be honest or should you keep quiet about it? And actually, I I would say that trying to deal with the fallout of the injury actually ended up being far more traumatic than the injury itself. I didn't know who to talk to or or where to turn. And so I think I, I sort of retreated a bit and became very sort of insular. How did you go about the process of rebuilding yourself after that? I slowly started to sing after after quite some time because actually although I had been cleared to sing by the laryngologist I was terrified I was terrified when you know that there has been an issue and you've had periods of being mute suddenly opening your mouth to to even just speak again feels utterly terrifying in case you do something wrong what if you start something too quickly and you set yourself back so I so I I took longer probably than would have been advised actually now they advise that you don't remain mute for much longer than about two weeks and start to try to to sing again after that I think I was a wee bit more afraid than that so it probably took about five or six weeks before I felt brave enough to actually try and vocalize and I just slowly tried to start putting myself together really part of the problem I had was that I didn't really know which teacher to go to and so I think I I dealt with that by by trying out lots of different teachers which actually wasn't very helpful at the time because what I needed to do was find someone one person and then trust them and sort of go through the process with them but Mm -hmm. there was so much fear involved that I just didn't really know what I was doing I just I wanted it all to be okay and just to be back to the singer that I had been before Do you think things have changed now in terms of the support that's available for singers with vocal injuries? I think things are changing, definitely. There are lots of amazing um, organisations around now, like like the Voice Care Centre, Vocal Health Education, Help Musicians, everyone knows, BAPAM, Industry Minds, uh, they all do incredible work. There's actually a new group soon to be launched, I believe, that's been developed by a group of incredible singers called Resound and they are aiming to help break the stigma of vocal issues and help guide the next generation of singers. So times are changing slowly but surely. I think there has definitely been a shift and I've, I've actually had some really encouraging conversations with a few industry leaders as well as companies like ENO, Scottish Opera and Glyndebourne. I think that focus on mental health has really opened a door for us to have these conversations but there's still a long way to go. When we spoke before, you mentioned that there were some red flags early on. What what were they? And was there anything that you would do differently now with the knowledge that you've got from your therapeutic work? Oh, definitely. I mean, knowing knowing what I know now, I look back and I and I sort of look back in horror at the the gradual decline and think, why did I not see any of this and why did no one around me see this and talk to me about it? 
I think the difficulty is that the when changes like that happen, they tend to come quite gradually. And when you're busy and you've got a really hectic schedule, you don't always notice them. You know, it would be really helpful if there was suddenly a great big neon sign that appeared over your head saying <laughs> something's happening in your vocal folds that you yeah. need to pay attention to. But I mean, it just, it doesn't work like that. I had a lump in my throat quite a lot of the time. I assumed that that was grief to do with my menopause diagnosis. And it probably was a bit, but I'm now completely sure that that was a symptom of muscle tension because my vocal mechanism was madly trying to adapt to a pathology that I didn't know was there. I had lost the ability to sing quietly. There was a particular experience at English National Opera where the director was asking us to move around the space and, you know, sort of play. And whilst doing that, he wanted us just to sing a quiet folk song. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I remember at the time thinking, hearing everyone else doing it and thinking, gosh, why can't my voice just doesn't want to do that today? That should have been a massive red flag. Singing had always been a really easy, natural experience for me. But now everything started to feel effortful. There was one particular note in my range, the E just above middle C, that I couldn't quite find my way around. So I began to sort of bring my chest register up to compensate because it wouldn't quite finate properly. And at the time, I, I disregarded it because I thought my voice is just changing. Maybe my approach in this part of my voice just needs a bit more reworking. It didn't occur to me that that could be a red flag for an injury. Also, recovery times. Recovery times is something that we don't really think about enough, I think. But I no longer woke up every morning feeling fresh as a daisy. I noticed that my voice was more sluggish and took longer to do what I needed it to do. And also, by the time I got to 2014, I was suffering from crippling panic attacks on stage and my confidence was, was almost completely gone. What was the impact on you from an identity point of view? The reason we dread injury is because so much of our identity is wrapped up in singing and performing. I mean, it's everything to singers. I have wanted, had wanted to be a singer my entire life and had been working towards that. So it was all I knew. The added complexity that I had was that the vocal injury triggered a sort of breakdown, I think, because it forced me to confront other health issues that I had been kind of unhappily living with. So six years earlier, when I was 32, I'd been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. They now call it premature ovarian insufficiency to make it sound more palatable. But basically what that meant was I went through the menopause 20 years early and at a very aggressive rate. The symptoms had crept up on me and the cause had gone undetected because mostly because of my age, I think. But also because so many of the symptoms that I was experiencing could be attributed to something else. My career had really just started to take off and I assumed at the time that the insomnia and panic attacks and some of the other symptoms that I had were down to the pressure of being in the spotlight so by the time the official diagnosis came, I was exhausted physically and emotionally. If we're talking about identity, motherhood was never something that I'd, you know, I had never taken it for granted, but I had always, always hoped for 
And I was devastated to learn that that wasn't going to be an option for me. So I think at that time, I what I did to cope with all of that was to throw myself into my identity as a singer and sort of use that as a bit of distraction. What I didn't realise at the time is that, of course, there had been changes to the to the pathology of my vocal cords because of the fluctuation in hormones. And so really that, for me, was the sort of start of that downward slope, I guess, towards injury. Just anecdotally, how many of your colleagues do you think have experienced vocal injury? It's such a high percentage, such a high percentage. And, and this is part of the problem. We, we don't get to see the singers that have recovered and made a full recovery and are back in work. Because I think that that would just change the way that everyone felt about it. You know, it seems yeah. to be that the, the, the singers who are brave enough to speak out, generally speaking, when there has been a problem with singers, they tend to just just fade away and it's like they never existed in the first place, which is such a shame because the wealth of talent and experience that's out there not being used is astonishing. It sounds like there's still a real stigma around vocal injury. Is that right? Yeah, I think there still is. I would say there definitely still is. I mean, I think part of the problem that we have as singers, because singing is seen as a natural thing, you know, it's sort of seen as this sort of magical being that sort of lives in your voice and is just supposed to work. And of course, we know that 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 isn't the case. We need to start seeing it more as an elite sport, I think. Because when something goes wrong, it automatically feels like it's the singer's fault that they've somehow done something to bring this injury upon themselves. And, you know, that would never happen to a professional athlete. (laughs) You know, if if a footballer falls over and ends up with some kind of really complicated ligament injury, nobody is saying, oh, well, I mean, you know, they sort of brought that on themselves. They've got this whole team of people surrounding them to aid their recovery and support them. And, I, and we need to start looking at singing in the same way. And also, I would say, something that I feel really strongly about, actually, when, when a singer is struggling or seen to be struggling, it isn't always technical. It isn't always that they've let themselves go or they haven't been working hard enough in their technique. Singing is... A holistic enterprise. The reason that people love singing and love singers is because it's a human experience. Yeah. And that's wonderful. It's why it feels incredible to sing and it's why people get incredibly moved when they, you know, when they experience live singing. But the flip side of that, because it is holistic, there are so many complex factors that can affect the way that someone is producing their voice. You know, maybe they are going through IVF and they're having hormonal treatments that are really affecting things. Maybe they're, one of their parents has just died and they're struggling to sing because they have a permanent lump in their throat. Maybe they have some kind of undiagnosed vocal pathology that's something to do with another illness that happened 25 years ago you know it is just so complicated and I think the frustrating thing is that when a problem is is heard that the assumption is always that oh well they're just doing something crazy technically and that's just not the case. 
And so you're doing amazing work now trying to prevent other singers from going through what you went through. What are the key messages that you'd like to get across to anyone listening? Please, please don't suffer in silence. Please reach out, ask for help. There is, there is a lot of help out there now. There are so many organisations that can help you. Or if they can't help you themselves, they can refer you to the people that you need to see to get the help that you need. The sooner you deal with the issue, the better chance you have of recovery and the less downtime you'll have. And also, I would just encourage singers to think holistically themselves There are so many tools at your disposal that aren't just to do with technique, speech and language therapy, nutritional advice, mindfulness, any kind of psychological guidance, rehab coaching, manual therapy, physiotherapy. Really think holistically because if you are supporting your whole body, you are supporting your voice. And also be creative. Get to know your own body and your instrument. You know, what what is your baseline? What are the weak points in your technique? Do you have weak points in your technique? Be really forensic about it. You don't have to solve them immediately, but you need to know what they are. What are your triggers? What can throw you off course? What are the red flags that your body gives you to tell you when you need to rest? It's incredibly empowering to actually have all of this information at your fingertips. And ultimately, it, it, it will free you up to become the artist that you want to be. Because, you know, let's face it, none of us can be free on stage when we're firefighting something or we're terrified. So actually, knowledge is power. The other piece of advice that I would give to singers, and I wish that I had done myself, is to build a team of people that you trust right from the start, which of course will include your singing teacher, but might also include someone who does body work with you or mindfulness or or nutrition. But have that team of people that you know are your team, your tribe that you can trust implicitly. Because if you have that from the start, they will know you as a person first and foremost, and most importantly, but they will know your voice. So If you do encounter any changes, you will already have that support network in place. That was soprano Kate Valentine. Kate now provides vocal massage, maintenance and injury prevention for singers. If you or someone you know would benefit from help in these areas, you can find out more at her website, valentinevoicecare.com. We'd like to thank help musicians for their support in bringing you this episode. They're an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare, creative funding opportunities and business support, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. My next guest, Dr. Ginevra Williams, is a vocal rehabilitation coach who works with BAPAM, the British Voice Association and more. She's a leading expert in voice care and the reason I'm especially glad to have her on the podcast is that she knows as much about preventing vocal injuries as she does about treating them. She's also full of information about the kind of support that's available right now. So let's hear from Ginevra. The work that I do now, of course, has grown out of a lifetime of being a singer. So 30 years ago, I was an opera singer, full-time 
busy and then gradually that overlapped with teaching and then the teaching overlapped with doing some research and I did a PhD and then that led me to working in rehabilitation because my PhD was based in health health and development of voices and from that I'm now training teachers so I train teachers how to teach singing and I train them in vocal health and rehabilitation so there's a little bit of everything going on but I'm still a singing teacher and I still have students who come for lessons as well as people who come for rehab work. So I know that you and Kate have worked together in the past. Would you be able to comment on her experiences? Was her story one that you see regularly in your work? Well, for the sake of sounding a little bit cheesy, everybody is different. (laughs) Every singer is unique because vocal problems are always a mixture. They're always a combination of different factors. It's never one thing. And everybody's story is slightly different and everybody's influences are slightly different. So yes and no. The similarities are that singers or the people they're working with may not understand what's going on. They may not be aware of what's happening. They may not be aware of what the problems are and what the causes might be. The main problem in coping with it and then coming through is fear. Fear is the big one, fear and anxiety, because when you're in that state, you can't really begin to change, you can't begin to rethink, you can't function properly if you're frightened. And then coming through it, there are huge issues of identity and further awareness and guilt and blame and all of that. So it is incredibly complicated. And we have to understand all of those elements if we're going to actually help someone come to terms with what's going on and find a way through beyond and out into something that is better. But the idea that Kate shared about how her early menopause diagnosis was having a massive impact on her voice without her realising Is that something you see regularly, that health conditions can actually almost lay the path for vocal injuries? Yes, and every health condition will have some impact on the voice. 50% of the population go through menopause and it's still not very well researched and its effect on the voice is still mostly anecdotal. Now, obviously, early menopause, like Kate had, is quite rare and not so much is known about it. And the problem there was that she was completely unaware of the effect it would be having on her voice. And it has an effect on the vocal fold tissue itself. It makes the vocal folds more dry. It can reduce your pitch range. It can have all sorts of very sort of biomedical effects, quite apart from the enormous emotional impact of going through that. And, and that emotional impact, you know, is, is a grief It's grieving for something that you might have had that you know you can't have now. And just staying on health conditions impacting the voice, obviously over the last year we're going to see a lot more singers who might be dealing with long COVID, for example. What does that kind of fatigue, what's the impact of that on a voice? Any sort of fatigue, and I mean this can be fatigue from 
inflammatory problems. It can be fatigue from, you know, something like long COVID or any other post-viral fatigue. It can be fatigue because you've got a young child at home who's keeping you awake at night. It can be fatigue because you're trying to juggle too many things in your life. It can be, there. you know, there are many, many reasons why people get tired. And of course, when you're tired, you you don't function as well. Your body doesn't heal as quickly. You don't think as quickly. You don't react in the best way possible. All sorts of functions are compromised when you're tired. And if you're chronically fatigued, you never get beyond it. And so things are going to get worse. And what are the other common vocal injuries that you see? Injury is, I think, quite a difficult word because it implies that you've actually damaged something. And a lot of the time, it's just that the voice isn't working like it was. So, for example, menopause is not an injury, but it will affect your voice. If you've got a very common explanation for problems is what we call muscle tension dysphonia. And that's a sort of coverall for any kind of functional issue in the larynx that we can't find another reason for. So things aren't working in balance. And it could be because you've never learned to do it well. It could be because you had a problem in the past and you developed compensatory strategies. It could be that you are now trying to deal with another issue that you didn't realise would affect your voice and so you're changing the way that you're using your voice. So you know, it's lots of subtle reasons that people will use their voice slightly differently. And if you use your voice slightly differently over a long period of time, you're going to get problems. Could you tell me about how injury affects singers beyond the physical issues? When you're a singer, it is what you are, it's what you do, it's what you live, breathe. It is your very being. When something takes that away from you, who are you? And if you are an injured singer, are you just a damaged person? There's a, there's a very difficult psychological, not barrier, but just an awareness to work around that the injured singer is still a singer and that person who sings is still a valid person even if they're not singing. It's when people say I am a singer rather than I sing. I think it is, you can see why it becomes the whole being but I think we can help singers in their training to realise that what you do doesn't necessarily have to be your entire identity. I am a a person, a woman, who is a mother. But I am also a person who is a singing teacher. I'm also a friend. I mean, you, know, you can have many different identities. And if you associate too strongly with any one identity, if that's threatened, then it's going to be difficult for you to deal with. So going back to Kate's story, was there anything that surprised you about the way that she was supported? Yes and no. I mean, when somebody tells you a story like that, it is always shocking because you think, why? Why did that have to happen? Why were you treated like that? Why? But we know that that is a common response. We like to think that there are changes. We like to think that people's attitude to mental health issues is changing we like to think that, that vocal health issues are being treated differently, and they are. 
but there's still a culture of disposability. There are more singers out there. Why spend time and effort helping one singer when there's another one waiting to come on and take her job? Much easier just to forget the troublesome one and get another one, get a fresh one out of the bag. What do you think it will take to change that culture? Well, it could just take time, in which case it's going to take a very long time, or we can raise awareness with a bit more effort in the same way that we are trying to change cultural attitudes in many areas of our lives. We've, we've got to shout. We've got to get out there and say, this is not good enough. And we're all going to stick together until things are changed. It is to do with health and well-being that it can be seen as weakness and failure. I think companies, opera companies, theatre companies, can be very, very supportive. They're all made up of lovely people. I mean, a, a short story from my own experience, nearly 30 years ago, I was working with Welsh National Opera and in the middle of a rehearsal, I had a phone call to say that my father had been killed in a car crash and my mother was in intensive care with very serious head injuries. The company could not have been nicer. They were so supportive. They were so lovely. They let me come back whenever I felt like it. They gave me time, space, because in that situation, I think everybody thinks that could have been me. It's a big shock. But a vocal injury to the individual is devastating, but it's not given the respect that it could be. Another thing that could be done to support singers is if singers all stick together. And if singers will stick up for each other and support each other so that it is a known thing that every singer at some point in their career will have an illness, a problem, an, an issue to deal with, and that when it happens, everyone else is going to stand up for you. And that mutual support used to be part of the culture when we were all in trade unions. That's why the trade unions evolved was to give workers support. And now that sort of structure is not as strong as it used to be. And so people are very much more on their own. And it's, I think being on your own is the problem. I think we just need to all stick together on this one. So we have groups that are looking after singers. So places like the Voice Care Centre, which is a very holistic way of helping singers and, and voice users to negotiate their voices and their careers. We have a support of people like BAPAM, British Association for Performing Arts Medicine, who will organise help for you with bursaries. And we have some amazing voice clinics that will give you help with a multidisciplinary team. Although I have to say that most of the voice clinics in this country still operate on a, a sort of sequential system. So you start with the biomedical diagnosis and then you move to speech therapy and then you move to osteopathy and then you move to singing teacher. And it's a very lengthy process and doesn't necessarily deal with the singer in the most helpful way because it may be that the psychotherapy is what they need first. Or it may be that the, the manual therapy is what they need first. They may need manual therapy at the same time as singing lessons. They may need, every singer needs things in a slightly different 
mixture. And so going back to Kate's case, is there anything that could have been done to prevent the issues from occurring or from developing to such an extreme kind of end? The original issue, if you want to start anywhere, it would be with the hormonal things that were going on with her. That was probably not preventable, probably not even anticipatory. I mean, you can't, you didn't, you, she wouldn't have known that was going to happen. Mm. As soon as she realised that that was going on, it would have been great if she'd been in an environment where somebody knew that that would affect her voice, could advise on pacing her voice use, could arrange for regular viewing of her vocal folds to see what was going on, to teach her to be aware of the red flags and the warning signs so she would know when to ease off a little. So yes, there could have been all sorts of systems built in. And this is all just awareness, awareness of what is going on. So singers are very aware of the fact that there's a problem with their voice. They're brilliant at that. And so when a singer says, my voice isn't the same as it was six months ago, you've got to believe them. What they're not so good at is knowing why. They tend to rely on urban myths a lot of the time. So, you know, they'll, they'll cut out dairy from their diet and, and hope that that's going to help. Or they'll sip honey and lemon and think that that's going to help. Or they'll inhale menthol vapour and hope that's going to help. And, you know, it's, none of it is actually going to do any use at all. The things that will help are actually a lot more difficult so maybe something like regular mindfulness training probably would be much more helpful for the singer, but it takes time and commitment and effort to do that. Overall health and well-being, so, you know, just a healthy body, going for a run every day, you know, there's time. Those sort of things are going to be more useful than whether or not you're eating dairy. And so if someone's listening and they want to try and do whatever they can to prevent injuries or issues from developing, what kind of advice would you have for them? Learn, read, go on courses. There are a lot of places where you can learn all of this information now. Vocal health education, we're providing training on many different levels for singers and for teachers and for choral conductors and opera managers and anybody that wants to know about voices and how to maintain health as well as how to rehabilitate them when things have gone wrong. So there is a lot more information. Equip yourself with knowledge. Knowledge is power. And when you know what you can and can't do and what your voice can and can't do, then you have much more ability to stand up and say, excuse me, I'm very happy to do that, but I can't do that. That was Dr. Ginevra Williams. And everything you want to know about her or her work can be found online at ginevrawilliams.com. And we've popped a link to that website in the show notes. Have you ever experienced a vocal injury? And if so, how did you manage it? Send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com or find us on social media at elevatemusicpod and let us know. Thank you to Kate and Ginevra for speaking to me. You've been listening to the Elevate Music Podcast with me, Lucy Heyman. 
If you want to find out more about how to look after your health and well-being as a musician, Rianne Jones and I have just written a book on this topic. It's called Sound Advice and it's available at soundadvicebook.com where we also have a free online directory of health, well-being and business resources for musicians. So do check those out. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen Entertainment in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity which provides essential and enduring support to make a meaningful difference to the lives of professional musicians. Thanks for listening. We've got links to all the organisations mentioned in this episode's show notes, so don't forget to check those out. In the meantime, take care and we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next episode.